Welcome to the Cornerstone Christian Center Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message by Pastor Jim Tarr. For more information about this podcast and other resources, visit cccbasalt.com. Today I want to look at the very passage that I felt the urging of the Holy Spirit to look at the entire book of 1 Peter. For this passage today is where I believe that God wants to bring us. So... It is about our relationship as believers with our government. So if you're here to say today and say, no, no, not another government service. (laughs) The Lord just has guidelines for us. And I think it's important. And we have to remember here as well in 1 Peter, Peter's dealing with very real issues. And I believe that we have very real issues that are going on right now as well. And so I'm just going to start out today by asking the Holy Spirit to guide and direct every thought and word. I'm praying that you won't hear anything that's not of him, and I pray that everything I say would be of him. So let's just start out with a word of prayer, looking at the scriptures today. Father, I thank you for the word of the Lord, and I thank you that the Bible deals with every issue pertaining to life and godliness. We also know, Lord, that there, to everything there are seasons and a time for every purpose under heaven. And so, Lord, we're living in a a season right now as a community that's faced some challenges, Lord God. And I pray that in everything that we say and do, that Jesus Christ would be glorified and high and lifted up. Help me, Lord, today. I need you. We need you. I pray, Lord God, that we would be submitted to your word today and that you would guide us and direct us in Jesus' name. Amen. You might ask me as a pastor, why am I taking positions like we have over the last two years that have been so controversial, whatever it might be? And why do you address issues? And I just want you to know they come out of the fact that I'm hearing from you as a community all the time so that when we come together, and I feel as though it's only fair to let you know some of the realities that individuals are facing so that you could understand Um, I had a family come to me this week who has their children in our Christian school, and these lifetime friends were yelling at their children because of affiliation. And so that's, you know, it's just happening for some people. Friday night, we had a fundraiser at the PTA. It was an awesome event. It was really great. Raised $15,000, the PTA did. It was really fantastic. Part of that fundraiser was something that's familiar to all of us. I mean, it's, um, we had the Scholastic Books Fair here at the church. We grew up with it, right? You didn't grow up with the new Scholastic Books Fair. When I went into the foyer and everything had been laid out, I saw that every, um, I would almost say every other book, or at least every third book, either had the rainbow or the unicorn on it. That you would be shocked how many unicorns are on everything right now pertaining to children. And you're just saying, well, why is that? But it triggered something in me because I noticed that the Roaring Fork School District with their new transgender agenda and their toolkit, it's represented by a unicorn. And so I thought, well, I'm going to make it official. I'm going to Google unicorn and the, the movement. And so then I found out that the unicorn is becoming a universal symbol 
for non-binary and transgender. And so we have to realize the imagery of that to our children is really being promoted. And it's become a symbol and actually found out through looking that the unicorn and the mermaid in the 19th century became symbols for the LGBT movement as the misunderstood part of um, the community, being out of step and unique with what were the norms. Even the whole imagery of the voice being taken away from the mermaid is all imagery that were part of a community that has no voice. Um, so you can, you can look at all that as you, as you might want to. Um, but I realized that there's something very specific and intentional going on with our children. Now, I just want to say this again. I wasn't out holding signs up at the, the drag shows on Aspen Mountain. I wasn't protesting Pride Week in Aspen. I mean, these, these are adults. But what's made it different for me is that it's now about children. And it's including. And this is why it's so personal to me as well, because within our community, recently, through the school system, there are children of households that are part of us that are doing hormone therapy and gender change. It's not like I'm just looking for a fight out there. It's in here. And it's in our homes. And it's in our families. And it's affecting our lives. Now, I want to preach this from an angle of understanding that we are in a unique moment of time and we are going to face challenges. And if I listen to what I feel the Spirit of God is urging in my heart, there's a really challenging time coming up for the church and for believers Amen. who take a biblical stand. Mm -hmm. I just feel like we have to have a sense, please stay with me, of urgency. I received a text from one of our families this week. Your children went to a basalt school, and there they went to a class where there was a guest speaker, and your children were handed questionnaires. How do you identify? Can your identity change um, at a moment? And all of it was to steer and guide children towards adult agendas. And so in all of that, I, I'm, I'm wanting you to know today that I am not doing this by the Spirit of God, hopefully, recklessly. I understand the biblical responsibility to be in submission to your government I understand that the biblical, the Bible speaks directly of it. Not to let, not to, don't let it um, pass you by as well to know that I am constantly, <laughs> Pam is receiving emails from Christians 
to get off this, this trail. So it's not like I'm not constantly being challenged on it. I also have lost, you're not a pastor without, you don't go into the ministry because you don't like people. And so when people walk out of your life, it hurts, right? So there are a lot of things that put checks on you to force you to say, is this really who I am? And is this really important? Um, so I, I, I don't... I want to walk in humility before the Lord in all of this thing, and yet at the very same time, I have to know that sometimes you can't help what you're sensing, help what you're seeing, or help what you're hearing. Even if other people aren't seeing what's happening and other people aren't hearing it. So I, I want to talk about that today. So I know that you all had a hard week as far as just living in this life and in this world. And you don't come to church for me to make it harder for you. I want you to know that I have complete confidence, first off, in the return of Jesus Christ, which at that moment, all things will be made known. Yes. Right? And that's who we live for. In 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 13, it's talking about being submitted to all every human institution. So let's look at this today, and let's take an honest look. The reason why I'm going here is because I owe it to all of you in case you're questioning, is Pastor Jim being biblical, or is he being disobedient to the Word of God? So 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 13, it says this, Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human institution whether to a king as the one in authority or to governors as sent by him for the punishment of evildoers and the praise of those who do right. For such is the will of God that by doing right you silence the ignorance of foolish people. Act as free people. Let me say that again. Act as free people. And do not use your freedom as a covering for evil but use it as bondservants to God. Honor all people. Love the brotherhood. Fear God. Honor the king. Servants, be subject to your masters with all respect, not only to those who are good and gentle, but also to those who are harsh. For this finds favor. If for the sake of conscience towards God, a person endures grief when suffering unjustly. For what credit is there if, when you sin and are harshly treated, you endure it with patience. But if when you do what is right and suffer for it, you patiently endure it, this finds favor with God. And Lord, I, I welcome your presence on the word today. So I want us to remember, in order to be able to understand the book of 1 Peter, that we have to remember the context in which it's being written. First off, let's remind ourselves that this is being written to persecuted believers. They had lost their homes, their livelihoods. Not only that, but they had lost their city and their government and their state. And remember this, that they had lost the nation of Israel. They were no longer living there. And when they lived in Israel, they felt as though the rules and the laws of their land were godly. And now they're living in nations that have no sense of God. So they might have been tempted to think, 
well, this nation doesn't have a covenant like we did as the nation of Israel. Therefore, we do not have to regard anything that they say or do. So that had to be addressed. The letter written to persecuted believers. Let me also remind you that since it was written to persecuted believers, he was letting them know, hey, listen, you are a royal priesthood, a holy nation. You are God's race of people. So the temptation for them might be, hey, we're our own nation. We don't have to listen to these other nations because God said, you're a holy nation, believers, and that could have fed into some kind of pride or ego that caused people to just say, I'm gonna disregard the laws of the land that I live in. So the first thing is written to persecuted believers. Secondly, Peter was directly discipled by Jesus, and all of this is in light of that experience. We have to remember that Peter would never, or the Holy Spirit who's guiding Peter to write the scripture, be in contradiction to the life of Jesus and his nature and his character. And I wanna remind us all today that Peter, discipled by Jesus, saw Jesus who was respectful to all, yet at the same time, there was a point at which he knew that it was time to overturn the tables. Because to everything there is a season and a time for every purpose under heaven. I want us to know today that this passage is actually addressing us as believers, that we are not called to live as rebels. They could have decided that they had had enough. Government had abused them once, took away everything they had merely because they believed in Jesus, and they will never be submitted again to a human institution of any kind. And you can see how that would be tempting. Let's remember the context of this scripture verse in 1 Peter 2.11, right before. It says this, I urge you as foreigners and strangers to abstain from fleshly lusts, which wage war against the soul. Keep your behavior excellent among the Gentiles, so that in the thing in which they slander you as evildoers, they may, because of your good deeds as they observe them, glorify God on the day of visitation. He's telling them right here, you have to understand, you are called to live as good people. Be good. Even be good within your culture. It says here, submit yourself to every human institution. To submit yourself means to come under the rank of another. There are ranks. There are levels of authority. What I want us to look at today, as we're looking at 1 Peter, or should I just say throughout this whole study, the Lord is going to say, you have a responsibility to the authorities that are placed within your life. The Bible does that all the time. It talks about authority towards government. It talks about authority within the church, submission to authority within the church. It also talks about authority with the family. It says the husband is the head of the home. Now, I want to address these issues. Why? I want, first off, I want us to understand submission never requires you to disobey God. To submission to any earthly institution or human, it's, they're never allowed to abuse that or they're never allowed to ask you to do something that is in contradiction to your faith. Because ultimately, at the top of the order, the highest ranking authority on the earth is the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And we obey him above all others. But I want us to even think right now, just whet your appetite for this, but first Peter actually felt as though it needed to go in the direction to the, the authority within the home and talking about the 
the position of a man inside the household. And I want you, I'm just whetting your appetite for this because we have to understand that culturally, another thing that's being torn down is men in our culture and also the position of the man inside the home. Because if you can dismantle authority, the whole system falls apart. And the way it's being dismantled is they're saying this, is that this idea of the leadership a man bringing leadership to his home is part of the patriarchy. And then also it is disqualified because it's toxic masculinity. So what we have right now in the disillusion of the family is actually the tearing down of the structure within the home. God was not setting something up by which men could abuse their families. He's just saying there is an order to everything. And we have to be open to that. And when we step into the order, it brings the blessing of the Lord, whether it's to government, whether it's inside the home, whether it's even children obeying their parents. That order has got to be maintained. So it says that we are to obey every human institution. What is an institution? I looked it up. It means actually it's the same word that's used for creation. In other words, it's letting us know that men create things in order to be more effective and to be better. So people talk about the institution of the church. We do not want institutionalized Christianity, but we can look at the church and just say it is an institution. What is an institution? It's a means created by men by which we have determined we bring our like values, our like resources, our brotherhood and love that binds us together, and by that we can be more effective. When people come together with a common goal, common resources, they establish an institution and say, look, we all believe that this is a very good thing to be a part of. Let's join together and create an institution. It's a creation of men. And the Lord just says this, that we have to understand the means by which people do society. One of those means is political, other ones are religious. There can be educational institutions. In all of these creations, we should honor what is honorable about institutions. Government is an institution and it should be honored. If we were to think for a moment what it would be like if we didn't have government, we would live in complete chaos. I just sat down and pulled these out of the, off the top of my head. Think about the orders of our government towards society. We have created laws on how you should treat a child. Yes, that's the responsibility of parents, but as a society and as a culture, we have said there are levels of abuse in which we are not gonna allow that in our society. That's a good thing. The treatment of children. Labor laws concerning children is an institutional law. And what did it come out of? came out of men just saying, hey, it's not good to be sending children down into mines. Let's not do that anymore. And then let's also establish laws that just say it's not right for a family to say we're gonna let our child be completely uneducated. It's not fair to the society, it's not fair to the child, and so we establish laws. We institutionalized education. We have laws to curb things like speeding. Why? Because it's not just about one individual. It's also about the other person that might be harmed by your speeding or the person who has to come and rescue you because of an, an accident. 
that the institution tells us how to navigate intersections. When you can go, when you need to slow down, when you need to stop. We have laws on how you can behave on sidewalks and in parks. These institutions help us. We have laws concerning our animals in society. What they're allowed to do, what they're not allowed to do, where you need to keep them. You can't let them just roam wherever they want and you have to pick up after them. It's an institutionalized law that creates society and helps us to live peacefully. We have laws guiding and restricting public provisions of food so that they can't just sell anything, can't sell tainted meat, they can't sell damaged goods or anything that could bring harm. You can't run a restaurant where innocent people come in and you can allow there to be filth inside the kitchen because someone might be harmed. The Bible says these are institutions and we ought to be we ought to be respectful of them. There are weights and measures that we have institutionalized so that when you go to the market, you don't find a different weight and measure at every different store. Well, what is that for? For the benefit of the people. You know what, how much you get because we have institutionalized how we measure goods. We have laws that protect our rivers, our streams, our lands, our ponds, our fresh water supply so that you and I can get fresh drinking water. The Bible wants us to understand this. Just because we're Christians and just because we are followers of the kingdom of God, that does not give us the right to live in our culture and in our society and to deny the importance of rules and restrictions that help us to live together peacefully. So the Bible here in 1 Peter Chapter two, he says to us that we are to be subject to every human institution and kings and ones who are in authority or to governors as sent by him. But listen to this. For the punishment of evildoers and the praise of those who do right. So I'm, you know, I, I get a lot of communications from people who are letting me know that you know, in, in certain things that we have taken a stand on that we need to be in submission into those things. And feeling as though 1 Peter chapter 2 and also Romans chapter 13 only addresses the responsibility of the church. But I want us to understand that in those two passages, it specifically also addresses the responsibility of government. And the responsibility of government that we just read is this. It, it is, exists to punish evildoers and to praise those who are right. That is godly government. That is why God establishes government. Amen. The Bible says that we are to walk in the fruits of the Spirit because against such thing there is no law, like things like love, joy, peace, being long-suffering, patient, kind. There's no laws, the Bible says, against such things. But there are seasons when there are authorities that punish good and they reward evil. There are times when light is called darkness and darkness is called light. There are times when good is declared to be evil and evil is declared to be good. In all these things, see, for me personally, letting you know that I'm not wanting to walk forward recklessly. I have to know what season are we in? 
In Romans chapter 13, verse 1, let me read that for you because, again, it addresses my responsibility, but it also addresses government responsibility. And I, I would just say this. It addresses the responsibility of our school board to the well-being of the children. Every person, it says, is to be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and those which exist are established by God. Therefore, whoever resists authority has opposed the ordinance of God, and they who have opposed will receive condemnation upon themselves. Now imagine me as the pastor reading a verse like that. I have to understand this. If I am not righteous when I said we're not going to mask a second year, the Lord says that's going to be really bad for you. I, that was not a season entered into recklessly. It says this, though, in verse 3. Rulers are not a cause of fear for good behavior, but for evil. Do you want to have no fear of authority? Do what is good, and you will have praise for the same. For it is a servant of God to you for good. But if you do what is evil, be afraid. It says, if you do what is evil, be afraid. Not evil in the eyes of the world, because sometimes the world will call good evil. But evil as defined by God. Do you not know that those who bear the sword bear it for nothing? They don't bear it for nothing. It is the servant of God, an avenger who brings wrath on the one who practices evil. So the Bible just says this government is granted by God the right to carry the sword. So when our local government said to me, if you don't mask your children the second year, you're 18 months in jail and $5,000 fine. I have to realize this. this. This verse makes me think this. Well, they carry, government carries the power to incarcerate by the hand of God. And the Lord says, if what you're doing is evil, you're going to get what you deserve. So when, see, to help you to understand, right? I want you to see what I'm seeing. I can't help what I see because I see it. The very first communication to me from Eagle County when I said, we've seen the result of the first year of masking children. The social, spiritual, educational impact on children. And I believe that masking children for two years has created a lot of mental illness in children. I really do believe that. So I had to decide what's good and what's evil. Our children belong to us. And what's the right thing to do? So when the very first communication from Eagle County with me was, if you do not comply this year, 18 months in jail and $5,000 fine. And then they ended the email, our health director, with his pronouns. Right? So I had to meet with all of our families, and I tried to tell them, I can't help what I see. If they can call COVID a medical emergency, therefore you have to mask your children for a second year, I knew 
that when our president, with all due respect, was saying transgenderism is a leading healthcare issue of our day, that if they could force masks because of COVID, they could force their transgender agenda because it's a healthcare issue in our school, right? So then also, I've told you already, I have $10,000 with a check. We asked them to stop sending them. We would have a lot more for our preschool. That's your money. That's your taxpayer money. That's what you have put into our local government. And it is um, it's so expensive to run a preschool. And eventually, it's going to get to the point where you and I won't be able to have a primary uh, preschool to raise our kids in our shared values because it's gonna be financially impossible. Every time they come to visit you, there's more rules that are very expensive. Oh, you need another bathroom. Oh, great, who decided that? It costs a lot of money. I don't feel the liberty to take those checks. And I've been told by someone in the know in Eagle County that it's going to be all future monies will be tied to preschools that embrace the transgender agenda. So four years old and down. Now, so I have to ask myself this question. What do I do when my values are in conflict with my local government? And so when they came and from the very first communication that came with the threat of jail time and fines, came with the pronoun identification agenda, I had to make a very critical decision. Um, and the first thing that I had to know was, am I being biblical or unbiblical? The government is established, it says, as an avenger who brings wrath on the one who practices evil. Therefore, it is necessary to be in subjection, not only because of wrath, but also for the sake of conscience. For because of this, you also pay taxes. For rulers are servants of God, devoting themselves to this very thing. Pay to all what is due them, tax to whom taxes due, custom to whom custom, respect to whom respect, honor to whom honor. So as we look at this and realizing the role of government established by God, it says that if we obey all that are in authority, that by doing the right, it says, you silence the ignorance of foolish people. I, I, I want you to know that in the context of saying obey all the institution, as it says, in the obedience to all institutions, it is very important that you do what is right. So understanding this, you always have to do what is right. That is your first responsibility living in society is to do what is right. In 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 1, the Apostle Paul, writing to this pastor, said, I exhort you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing in his kingdom, preach the word. We preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Sometimes the word's in season. Sometimes it's not popular. It's out of season. Correct, correct, rebuke, exhort with great patience and instruction. For the time will come when they will not tolerate sound doctrine, but wanting to have their ears tickled, they will accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance with their own desires and they will turn their ears from the truth and will turn aside the myths. But as for you, you self-restrained in all things, endure hardship, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. 
Again, I just want to say, in this, it says that there's coming a day where people will believe myths. Let me tell you the myth in the Roaring Fork School District. The myth is this, is that if you're a male today, you can decide you feel like a female tomorrow, and therefore you are one. That's a myth. That there's more than two genders. That's a myth. And so we have to understand the Bible says that people accumulate for themselves teachers who will back up the myth. Isn't that amazing? That will tickle the ears of the adults and that it will be projected on those who are receiving their teaching. And the Bible just says this, endure it. If that brings you hardship, endure it and do the work of an evangelist. In other words, you and I are to continue to proclaim the good news, primarily being the gospel of Jesus Christ, but also just the good. Some, here's my conflict sometimes. People come to me and they say, it's cruel and unkind to say things that contradict the transgender agenda. That's not good news. We have not been called to preach the bad news. We're called to preach the good news. But the truth is this. The good news is this. You can look in the mirror. You can see your body fearfully and wonderfully made by the Lord. You were created in his image. And that you do not need to dismember yourself in order to find your fulfillment in God. The, the, the beauty and the good news is this. You are fearfully and wonderfully made, and your days are written in the book of God. Right now, what we're being accused of is being hateful and intolerant, but I believe with all my heart there is coming a day. It will be in this generation, but also in heaven, where there will be those who came and said, I was misguided as a child, mm -hmm. and I was told I could be something that I'm not. So there's a woe to me if I disobey the governmental authorities as an act of rebellion. But the Bible also says, woe to those who call evil good and good evil who substitute darkness for light and light for darkness. The Apostle Paul, writing to the church in Ephesians, said this, that we are to not walk in the, in, in the darkness and become partners with them, but we are to walk in the light, not participate in their evil deeds. Here's the whole thing. As I mentioned this week, this agenda in the public school system is affecting our community. But here's another thing. Are the laws of our society, which are good, are saying you have to educate your child? I would agree with that. But the truth is this. You are now, as a Christian parent, are required to partner mm -hmm. with an agenda in the schools that contradicts your own. And the Lord says you're not allowed to partner with that, do not become partners with them because you've received the light. Learn what is pleasing to the Lord. Do not participate in the useless deeds of darkness. Now listen to this, but even expose them. 
That's a commandment. The last thing I want to do is be controversial. One of the last things I'd have ever done is be a pastor, let alone in a time like this. I'm perfectly happy to not stand in front of people and talk. It's not my nature. The call of God went against my nature, but I had to submit it to the Lord and obey him. It's not my nature to be confrontational. It's not my nature to be in the newspaper. It's not my nature to stand in front of a school board. It's not my nature to go before Eagle County. It's, it, it's not. It's, it's not. <laughs> but the Bible commands us that you have to expose darkness and speak truth. Because he goes on to say this, it is disgraceful to speak of the things which are done by them in secret. But all things become visible when they are exposed by the light. For everything that becomes visible is light. For this reason it says, listen to this, listen to this. The Apostle Paul said, awake sleeper. You who aren't confronting darkness, awake, arise from the dead. Christ will shine on you. Even in that, I have to navigate it. Doesn't mean I was on mount on the mountain ski mountain during the drag ski the drag ski show. Doesn't mean that I was walking the streets of Aspen during Pride Week. Doesn't mean, okay. But I better know when something has gone too far. Amen. And it's time to say something. Amen. And the Lord says, "Awake, sleeper." Wake up. I would say that. Wake up, church. Let me just make this point as well. If you're still struggling and saying, no, it says to be submitted to all institutions, let me talk about the institution of our government, which creates for me an opportunity to understand that Americans have been given a unique opportunity that the world has never known before. And it's found in this very simple phrase. We are a government of the people, by the people, and for the people. Here's what I want you to understand. You are the government. Amen. To not address government is to not address yourself. Why did I allow some people come and stand on this stage during an election? Why would we do such a thing? I'd never done it before. It wasn't the season to do it before. It'd be counterproductive before, but it's a different day in which we live right now. Why would I allow such a thing is because if you are an American and you're upset with your government, you have to hold yourself accountable because this is governed by you. The problem with America is a problem of a lack of self-reflection, of, self, of being righteous before the Lord, and of the ability to govern ourselves. Amen. We're not governing our homes. We're not governing ourselves. 
We're not holding ourselves to biblical standards. We're not being salt and light in the world. We're doing our Christianity inside four walls. That's what we've been doing. And I, I want us to know this, that America got us in some ways off the hook because we can submit to the principles which guide us and not the whims of men. I don't feel like I was in contradiction with the county when I went to them and said, you are a human institution, we will. We don't know what COVID is, 15 days. We don't know what it is. So we'll be a part of community and just say, we'll play our role as well. We'll shut down for 15 days. But then, boom, didn't include abortion clinics, it didn't include riots in the streets of our cities, it didn't include pot shops, didn't, so, okay. So now I'm beginning to think, now wait a minute, the system is violating with what our Declaration of Independence called our unalienable rights, endowed by God. And so there was something in our philosophy of governments, our structure, our system, that let me know I also have rights equal to a health director, unelected, telling me I will go to jail if we don't mask our kids a second year. I, it wasn't easy, but we had to do it. We have to understand that we, it, it is your right, demonstrated by the Apostle Paul, to stand according to the legal provisions in which you live. There was a time when the Apostle Paul, they were about to flog him. And he said to them, they were gonna whip him, is it lawful for you to flog a man who was a Roman and uncondemned? When the centurion heard this, he went to the commander and told him, saying, what are you about to do for this man is a Roman? The commander came and said to Paul, tell me, are you a Roman? And he said, yes. And the commander answered, I acquired this citizenship for a large sum of money. And Paul said, but I was actually born a citizen. Therefore, those who were about to interrogate him immediately backed away from him. And the commander also was afraid when he found out that he was a Roman and because he had put him in chains. The apostle Paul didn't have any problem just saying, you know what, this institution exists for me as well. And you can't flog me under that system. In the same way, telling the county, we have rights as well concerning our children, how we raise them and what our values are. And they took us to court twice and canceled it at the last minute. Why? Because they were at risk of losing a lot of public face and losing the case. And we had indications by some of the things that judges said previously that it was gonna be lost. It wasn't wrong to do that. The Apostle Paul appealed to Caesar when they were trying him. And he says, I make my appeal to Caesar. And so then he says, you've appealed to Caesar, then to Caesar you will go. That's what Festus told him. If 
There are principles within your society that grant you rights. You have the right to say, I have these rights. It's all right. The book of Acts has taught us that. Then in verse 16 of our text today, it said, act as free people. Think about that. And do not use your freedom as a covering for evil, but use it as servants of God. So in all of the context of submit to authorities, he also says this, but act like free people. It was for freedom that Christ set you free. You're allowed to be free. Don't be a rebel against human institutions, but he said don't use your freedom to do something evil. So I love the fact that that is added there, but use it as bondservants of God. And then he says this, which is so important. Honor all people, love the brotherhood, fear God, and honor the king. Now, I just want to tell you, some of you have been to our school board meetings. Some of you have gone with me to, to the county meetings. And I just want to remind all of us, and I am certainly reminding myself, that whenever I find myself in conflict with authorities, the Lord commands me to honor them. What does it mean to honor? It means to see great value in them. Whenever you are in conflict with anybody, you have to understand, they are so precious to God that Jesus would die for them. Don't think because of your agenda that you have the right to behave in such a way that would forever cut them off because you were evil in the words that you used or your attitude or we were. Then he says this, when, you're in, when you find yourself in this trouble, love the brotherhood. He doesn't say love your brothers. He said love the brotherhood. In other words, love what happened. Because you could say, oh yeah, love your brothers. I love this brother and this brother and this brother. But he just says, no, love the brotherhood. Love the whole community of God. Be there for one another. Care for one another. Show up for one another. He says, make sure that you fear God. Like for me, to lead a church and a school in this direction, the fear of God was always on me that if I did something wrong, I'm not just responsible for myself, I'm responsible for you and children. And then finally says this, honor the king. So the Lord will remind us that right now, you know the last several presidents, presidents now, it doesn't matter what side you're on, are so polarized and polarizing and the Lord just says, whatever you do, you honor. When you speak of President Biden, you speak to him in terms of honor. You speak of him in terms of honor. You can say what you feel is wrong, but don't be dishonoring. Realize that Jesus loves them and he died for them. When you're speaking to your county commissioners, your health director, your school board, the Lord says, honor all So then finally this wraps up with, and I'll wrap it up as well. It wraps up with the issue of slavery. And you may say, how did that happen? And I think it's a beautiful way to end it. The Bible never endorsed slavery, but it realized it was in the culture. And they had to navigate that. Now the slaves for the Romans, they weren't like American slaves where they were whipped for doing every menial job that the elite didn't want to do. 
We're talking about people whose nations had been conquered and they were doctors and teachers and they were new legal issues and they were very intelligent and they would find themselves transported somewhere else and then suddenly they would, their services, their, their musical abilities, they were honored and respected and they were used. But it doesn't mean that the Lord wanted a slavery system. But Jesus said this, the kingdom of God is like leaven, which a man inserts into a lump of dough, a woman inserts into a lump of dough, and it invades the whole lump. The apostle Peter wasn't telling us, he said, live as free men. But then he says, but if you're a slave, be honoring. Wow, that's hard to understand. And yet, the apostle Peter knew this, that if people walked in respect and honor, even if they were in a slave system. The Lord, who saw unfolding events of history, knew that the righteousness of people would eventually tear down systems of slavery. It's so important for us right now to walk in righteousness, to walk in honor, and ultimately to understand this, that our goal is to find the favor of the Lord. James 3.17 says this, but the wisdom from above is first pure, then peace-loving, gentle, reasonable, full of mercy, good fruits, impartial, free of hypocrisy. Can I remind you here that the Lord says, behave well to win favor with men and favor with God. Here's the thing. We cannot change anything if we lose favor. Amen. You have to have favor if you're gonna be effective. Amen. If you go to the school board of the county, Walk in humility and honor. Why? Because you need favor. Why? Because the wisdom that is from above is reasonable. What you want to be able to do is change hearts, not alienate. Mm -hmm. That's true. Amen. To create friends and not enemies. Amen. Let's walk in the real wisdom of the Lord. It says be gentle, peace-loving, full of mercy, good fruits, impartial, free of hypocrisy. Yeah, that's a good one. <laughs> right? So, why don't you stand up? You've been sitting for a while. Here's the thing. The only reason I'm sharing all of this is because I owe it to you to know you, for you to know where I'm going, and I owe it to you to let you know that I know the scriptures that are challenging here. I also owe it to you because some of you really believe that God has called you to be a light in this valley when there are and confront darkness. And so in all of that, I just want us to remember in 1 Peter chapter 2, move forward in humility, move forward in conviction, move forward in righteousness, move forward in faith. Honor all men. Someday it will be known. Jesus said, wisdom is vindicated by her deeds. In other words, it's this. Sometimes when you do something, your deeds, you look like a fool. But eventually, if you are truly walking in wisdom, your deeds will prove themselves. So if you're walking in conviction today, don't fight. It doesn't do anything. Don't get frustrated. Don't get angry. Have faith.
the power of the truth of God, the power of the word. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes for just a moment. I want to ask, is there anyone here today you've never met Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior? This is not an invitation to politics. It's not an invitation to become a member of our church. It's nothing like that. I just want you to know that you can come to Jesus Christ today and find the forgiveness of your sins. You can be washed clean. You can have shame removed and guilt. You can have the Spirit of God living inside of you. Jesus Christ died on the cross for our sins. If you say to me today, Pastor Jim, I don't know Jesus as my Savior. I don't know that I'm a child of God, and I want to know today. I want you to do two things. I want you to just raise your hand saying, I want to be included in the closing prayer. I want to give my heart to Jesus today. And then secondly, if you raised your hand, I'm going to invite you to come to the front. You don't have to say or do anything. But the Lord said, if you confess me before men, I'll confess you before the Father. So very quickly, if you don't know Jesus as your Savior and you want him in your heart today, would you raise up your hand so I can see it? Then you can put it back down. Just saying, Pastor Jim, today I'm going to get right with God. Going to get right with God. Father, I thank you, O oh Lord, for every person that's here today. Let the Spirit and the joy of the Lord be their strength. Let boldness and confidence before you, Lord God, rule their day. Father, I speak your blessing on them, their descendants, their homes, the th substance of their life. God, pour out your Spirit of blessing. And most of all, Father, let them be a bright light in this world for Jesus Christ. Father, I pray for those that are here today, Lord. Give them someone to share Jesus with. And I thank you for it, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to have folks here in the front. If you need prayer today, please come forward. Let these folks pray for you. No matter what your need is, come forward. They're here. They're honored to pray with you. God bless you all. Thank you for coming. Thanks for listening to the Sermon of the Week. This weekly podcast can be heard on our cccbasalt.com website, or your favorite podcast platform. Just look for Sermon of the Week, Cornerstone Christian Center. If you would like to support our efforts financially, you have the opportunity to give at cccbasalt.com forward slash give.